hey, hey, and welcome to Insurance Town. I'm the Mayor Heath Sharon and the host of this podcast. Thank you so much, guys, for the feedback and the emails. I did get me a new microphone. Thank you so much for recognizing that and for listening. And keep keep listening. It really means a lot to me. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please do so. Download all the ones you haven't listened to yet. There's some really good stuff out there. And today I'm super excited. We did reach five. 100 downloads and we're on to the next one. Today, we've got a good friend of mine on the podcast today. His name is Holden Smith. He started him a scratch agency in Paragould, Arkansas, Northeast Arkansas area, and he's done so well. And I want you to hear his story because he tells you the truth. He tells you the bumps and the bruises. He tells you about the what he calls sheer dumb luck. And he also tells you about the people that helped him make it, some of the ideas that he had. It's a cool story. I really want you to hear it. And so without further ado, please sit back and relax and listen to my conversation with my good friend, Holden Smith. Holden. What's happening, brother? What's up, man? How's quarantine life treating you? Oh, man. If I don't kill my kids, it'll be really good. Um, how's fatherhood treating you? Man, I can't complain. My baby girl just hit seven months old. So we're crawling. We've got our two bottom teeth. We pull up on everything. You know, we want to be in the floor and be busy and constantly be into stuff. So, man, it's it's great. You can't beat it. All right. So as a dad, do you change diapers? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, it's part of what you sign up for. I change diapers. I, you know, whenever she doesn't want to go to sleep, I, I get volunteered for, you know, sit up with the baby duty sometimes and all that good stuff. No, I'm all about it. It's great. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. So since we're already talking about uh, family and whatnot, yeah. let's, uh, let's take a stroll down memory lane. Let's tell the listeners yeah. in Insurance Town a little backstory on Holden Smith. So I was born and raised in Terrible, Arkansas. Um, only child had a very normal all-American upbringing. Uh, went to a small private school here in town. Um, you know, my dad was a, a self-employed truck driver. Uh, my mom, whenever I was little, worked for a Donovan Cotton Company. And then whenever I was eight, she came home and was a stay-at-home mom until I was about 15. She went back to work at one of the banks here in town. Um, and for the most part, like, you know, for the first 14, 15 years, like I had the perfect all-American childhood. We lived on 10 acres out in the middle of nowhere and had go-karts and four-wheelers. And, you know, I played every sport I could get my hands on and, and stuff like that. So, you know, for, for the first, you know, 14, 15, 16 years, everything was this super charmed existence that you can have no complaints about. Sounds like it. It sounds yeah. like it. And so this was all in Paragold, uh, the, the 10 yeah, acres yeah. and the whole nine. Yeah, yeah, man. Like we lived, you know, uh, it was funny as a kid, people would go, so how do we get to your house? And but whenever I was about five or six, they built the county jail about a mile from my house. And I was like, well, I live by the jail. And my parents were always like, man, there's got to be a better landmark than telling people we live by the jail. But, you know, as a kid, I, I didn't think about it. It's like, that's that's the thing on the way to my house is the county jail. So, <laughs> no, man, it was it was great. Like, you can't. You know, my, you couldn't you couldn't have scripted a childhood any better than what mine was. Okay, so you say the first 14, 15 years. Continue yeah. on. Let's, let's drag us forward a little bit further. So whenever I was uh, 15, um, my dad had a stroke. 
um, which, at, you know, in the beginning left him without the ability to um, read and write. He lost his ability to laugh. The big thing that it did, though, was it took away his uh, balance. Basically, his equilibrium was shot after that. Um, so, you know, went through rehab and all of those things, trying to get back to a somewhat uh, normal existence, I guess would be the way you would put it. Um, and you know, being 15 years old and you're kind of at that age where it's, you know, you and dad are tight and, and it's, it's time to start kind of turning into a man and learning those life lessons and stuff like that. And, and that wasn't, you know, that wasn't the, the, the top of everyone's mind and the focus. It was health and getting back to, um, normal. Um, man, at the time, you know, my dad was self-employed. My mom was a stay at home mom. That was our sole income, you know, on top of, on top of the health issues, you know, there were that, that turned into financial issues as well. Um, so went through recovery, you know, I had the stroke in, in January, went through recovery by April, May ish. I wouldn't say things were normal, but things were normal ish. Um, there was still some things that, that didn't come back and never came back. Um, there were good days and bad days, um, things like that. But through the course of everything, they discovered that what had happened was, um, he was born with a hole in his heart. And what they did was they said, you know, we've got one of two options here. We can either leave the hole, um, which could cause you to have another stroke, obviously, because that's what caused the, the first one, or we can sew it shut. But the only risk you run there is is if we sew it shut that could ultimately cause you to have a heart attack um and kind of the decision was made of i've had the stroke that was terrible i don't want to do that again so let's take the risk let's let's sew it up and let's take the risk so in december of the same year he had the stroke he had open heart surgery and they went in and so sewed his hole shut and about six weeks later he had a uh, a massive heart attack and, and passed away so from basically January of 2006 to January of 2007, um, he had had a stroke, had some recovery, had open heart surgery, and then ultimately about, you know, 12 months into, into it passed away. Um, so that was a big, you know, that was a big change. That was a big, you know, a, a big moment in life at a, at an age where you're supposed to be going through other big moments, but that's, you know, that's, you know, that's the cards you get dealt sometimes. So you said you were around 16, 17 around this time? So I was 15 when he had the stroke. I was 16 whenever he passed away. I turned 16 in October, and then he passed away in uh, January of the following year after I turned 16. Oh, and like you said, that's a life-changing moment for you. Now, you mentioned he was a risk-taker. Is that yeah. something, or at least he took the risk there. Was he a risk-taker in his whole life? Is that where you think you get some of that? Because yeah, you have to be a risk-taker yeah. to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. So my dad, like my mom and dad, it, it's always amazed me. I don't know of two people that could be more different. Like my mom's a very quiet, very sweet, very meek, mild, kind human being. And my dad had, you know, long hair and a beard and looked like Jesus and rode Harleys and drove race cars and stuff like that. And, you know, I mean, so from an early age, it was surrounded by you've got your, your conservative, thoughtful, you know, this is how you do things. And then you've got this wild child over here that, you know, even though he's pushing 40, um, is still into race cars and he's still into his motorcycles and he's still got his Jesus hair and his big beard and, and stuff like that. So, you know, it was, uh, an eclectic sort of raising between the two of them because they did, you did pick up so much different stuff from both of them. Right. Sounds like it. So, 
you went through that was a tough what junior and senior year of high school without yeah. your father some yep. things had changed there uh, talk to me from there um continue on a little bit so you know junior senior year um kind of used it as an excuse to just be an overall turd to be around um didn't didn't really try and i guess suck it up and and move on all that well um you know which hindsight being 2020 that's my fault like there's nobody to blame for that but me um but it was one of those like you know in that in that same vein that those are the times where and you can attest to this anybody can like that 15 16 17 18 year old range is really where if you're a boy dad becomes super important and and it's that hey you know how do i what, you know, what's the manly way to deal with my first heartbreak and what's the manly way to make these decisions that are in front of me and all of those things. And, and that wasn't there. And, you know, being an only child, I was super close to both my parents. So like, like you sit around the house and like you talk to your parents and then you go through life with your parents. And if you need to talk to somebody about something, you talk to your parents. So, so it, it was, you know, it was weird and it, it was a, it was a transition and it's a transition for everybody because I'm going through losing my dad, but my mom's going through losing her spouse and all the people that surround me have lost something. Um, so that so was, you had to grow up real quick. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you, you have to, and you don't have a choice. Like it's not, it's not optional that you grow up at that point. Like it's time, like you grow up right then or or you don't and you can't use this moment in time as an excuse to let life pass you by. Like you've got to, you've got to adapt and overcome. Like I'll never forget. I had a relative that looked at me at my dad's funeral and said, Hey kid, it's going to be tough, but the only option you've got is to suck it up and move on. Wow. And it's like, and you think about it, everybody hears that and goes, wow, that's harsh. And it's like, man, what else are you like? Everything else sounds better. But the truth of the matter is, is like, that's where you're at. Like you've, like you've got to, you've got to at some point try and come to terms with what's happened and begin to move forward. Right. And so you developed some thick skin and became a pretty strong individual, I imagine, at that point. And then where'd you go to school from there? What was the next step after high school for you? So I went to ASU um, in Jonesboro, just down the road, um, majored in marketing, um, did that, went to work um, as a tater tot cook at Sonic, um, met my wife. Oh, they have fantastic tater tots. Yeah, yeah, no, and I was the guy in the back running the running the fryer and cooking the burgers and stuff like that, and you know, I mean, it's a you know, it's a job. Like it, at some point, you you come to grip. We all come to grips with the fact that we've got to work. Um, and met a you know met a ton of cool people there. You know, the most important of which was my wife. Um, and got married. Uh, went to work. Um, a friend of mine, his dad was a state farm agent, and I wound up going to work for. Uh, the dad and, and worked there for three years and, and learned a ton of stuff. Um, and I think kind of what we'll see as we go through this is one of the, one of the benefits of my life is in every situation, I kind of seem to find the right people. And I've heard you say this before. Like it was one of those where it's like, I've got, I want to try something else. I want to do something else. I want to see what else is out there and, and jumped off that ship and, and became a car salesman for a year, which was, you know, a blast and a party and within itself. And, you know, they are found a couple more of those just fantastic people to be surrounded by. So, so what was that like being a car salesman and how does that help you 
you know, in your sales career a little bit? Cause I know you had to have been a good car salesman. Yeah, no, like, I mean, honestly, if it weren't, if it wasn't for the hours, I don't know that I ever would have left car sales. Like, I love it. Like it, it's a blast. It's that, you know, you, you're whenever somebody pulls on the lot, like you've got two or three minutes to make them like you and three or four hours later, if you've done your job, they bought their car and they're gone. And, you know, then it's on to, you know, on, on to the next one. And it's a, it's a different vibe. It's a different mentality. I mean, you know, from being in the insurance industry for, you know, basically your entire adult life, you've got to make them like you almost instantly. And, you know, I mean, having the product that they want sitting right in front of you, it doesn't hurt matters any. Like that was, that was different, you know, being able to point at the car and go, oh, I mean, you want a sunroof, you want a DVD player, you want leather, you want all this stuff. And here it is like that, you know, that's a different, that's a different animal. So car sales is a, car sales is a blast. It's just one of those to where you start realizing you're working eight to seven, eight to eight, eight to nine. And then you start realizing it's, you know, Monday through Saturday and, you know, one to four or one to five, some Sundays. And, you know, eventually the wife goes, Hey, like you've got to come home at some point. So, um, if, you know, if, if car sales was eight to five Monday through Friday, it'd be hard to convince me that most salespeople wouldn't choose to do that. Right. And so from there after state farm, and after mm-hmm. car salesman, where'd you go yep. from there? How did you end up back at insurance? So from there, um, my wife is a school teacher at uh, Green County Tech here in town. And their um, ancillary benefits at the time were through AIG. And AIGs came in, AIG guys came in and were talking to her. And she said, well, I'm going to you know, take all this home and talk to my husband. Like he used to sell insurance, blah, 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 blah. And they were like, oh, well, I mean, by the way, while you're going over your benefits package with him, you know, we're, you know, let him know we're hiring. And she said something. She's like, hey, they're hiring. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And, you know, a week or two later, it was time to meet with them again. And she came in and said, hey, oh, by the way, they're hiring. And, you know, FYI, I'm kind of tired of you never being home. And I was like, fine, I'll meet with them, do the interview, make you happy, blah, 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 whatever. Happy um, life, happy wife. Right, right. And, and that was kind of what I was starting to figure out. It was like, I really enjoy this job but you don't really enjoy me having this job. Um, right. So I don't know how much longer I'm going to enjoy this job if this continues. Um, so, you know, met with them, did the interview, started the process, everything like that. Um, and, you know, they they made an offer. AIG's career model at the time was, was really, you know, it, it was a good system. It was a good setup. I mean, me and, you know, several people that have been through it. Um, and... So on November the 9th of 2015, took the job with AIG and was back in the insurance industry just doing, you know, life insurance. And we were sitting there thinking, all right, so this is it. Like, this is, this is, this is probably the final career move and we're done and, you know, yada, 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 and away we go. Um, that was my thought process at the time anyway. From what I gathered, all of those, New York Life, AIG, a lot of those life companies, they do a lot with like scripting and with teaching you how to make calls and how to talk to certain people. Is that something that you yeah. went through and that you use now in your agency? Yeah. So, I mean, you go through there and you learn, 
how to sell and how to sell your product and how to sell yourself and stuff like that. But the other thing that, that you learned, and this was more of a thing that you learned in the car business, I feel like, than you do in some other types of sales because, you know, with insurance or, or whatever it is, we, we tend to play a longer game. And, you know, my training in the car business, super nice guy sat down with me one day and he said, so they wanted me to train you. And I'm going to teach, uh, there's three rules to sell on cars. And I said, what's that? And he goes, get the money, get the money and get the money. And I went, okay, what are the rest of the rules? And he goes, all right, we'll try this again. Get the money, get the money, and get the money. And those are the three rules of car sales. And I was like, oh, okay. And I think what what I was able to do in a very short window at AIG was kind of take the the insurance side of it and combine that with, man, if you had an appointment, you didn't get the money, you didn't really accomplish anything. Like, I mean, I'm glad they like you, but they didn't pay you. Um, and, and that was, you know, that was good to kind of combine those two, those two experiences and that those two sets of training and everything like that together. Um, you know, for about two months was, was a good thing. Okay. So it sounds like it helped you quickly assess a, a client when you're trying to, or a prospect, when you're trying to sell them life insurance, you knew pretty quickly if they were going to buy or not, if you were going to get the money, get the money, get the money or not. And that's yeah. crucial. A lot of people don't find that until way later in life where they're trying to sell insurance and you spend a lot of wheels and you spend a lot of time trying to figure out you know, are they going to buy or they try to read those buying signals? You feel like you learned that pretty quickly in a car business? Like slow nose lead to, to bad days and bad months and, and things like that. And, and you've got to figure out early how to qualify. And if you've got somebody that really wants to switch or really wants to buy a car or whatever it is, so that you're not sitting there for hours and days upon end, not accomplishing anything. Right. And so... All right, so you didn't you didn't stay too long at AIG. What happened there? Because obviously you went and started an agency. So let's let's skip right, down the road a right. little bit. So right after the first of the year, um, like literally right after the first of the year, like January the second or something like that, we get an email. It's like, hey, there's a conference call January the seventh. You know, ten a.m. Whatever it was. Um, and me being me, um, and at the time being twenty five. Yeah, 25. Like, oh, yeah, cool. Like, no big deal. Like, mm, it's a conference call. Nobody cares, whatever. And, you know, there were some other guys in the office going like, nah, dude, like, this is going to be a big deal. And it's like, okay, cool. Um, I believed it was such a non-issue that I actually scheduled an appointment at 10 in the office. So while everyone else is listening to the conference call, I'm in a back office with a with a client um, selling a life insurance policy. Um, we go through the whole spiel. She buys a life insurance policy, yada, yada, yada. Everyone else is out front having the conference call, listening in. She signs her paperwork. We're all done. I walk up to the front, walk her to the door, thank her for her business, yada, yada, yada. You know, do all the things that you're supposed to do. And she walks out and one of the guys turns and looks at me and goes, well, you're never getting paid for that one. And I said, uh, you know something I don't know? He goes, yeah, you don't have a job anymore. I was like, oh. And he goes, yeah, I mean, it's okay. None of the rest of us do either. Like, this career model wow. is pretty much over with, and and we're all done. Um, You know, and then they collected our laptops and wrote us severance checks, and that was that. Wow. Yeah. Talk about a kick in the pants. So, I'm guessing that was the birth of Linux insurance after that happened? It is. It is. So that happened in early January. And it was one of those to where it was like, I have absolutely no idea what I'm going to do. Um, I have no idea what I want to do. I have no idea what to do. Um, 
like I felt like I, I felt like I had made a really good decision about two months prior to that coming to do this, and then it ends. Um, and so it, it leaves you questioning your decision making ability a little bit, and then it starts to go back. Like now you have nothing but time to think because everyone else has stuff to do during the day. You learn that whenever you're unemployed. Like people are busy and you're not. Um, so all you do is sit around and think, and it's like, so what do I want to do? Like, like, what am I going to do? What, what do I know how to do? And you know, the first, honestly, the first thought process of it was, man, I can get appointed as an independent agent and sell life insurance and kind of just keep doing what I'm doing. And then in the midst of that, it was like, well, I mean, I could sell PNC too. How do I do that? Like, how, like, how do you, how do you open up an independent agency? I literally Googled how to get uh, PNC contracts for an independent insurance agency. So you Googled um, it. Smart choice. I Googled it. When all else fails and you don't know what you're doing, Google it. Yep, I Googled it. Um, And smart choice popped up. And there was a phone number on there for a lady by the name of Kim Carney, who at the time I didn't know from Adam. Um, And I called her and she answered the phone and I said, hey, you know, my name's Holden Smith, yada, yada, yada. Um, I'd like to get appointed to sell auto and home insurance. Like that's how that, because that was the only thing I knew how to say. So I said that and shut up. So she didn't realize just how dumb I actually was. And she's like, yeah, that's perfect. That's, that's exactly what we do. And I was like, Oh, thank God. Like if you would told me this, like, this isn't how this worked. I was fixing to be back to square one. Um, so by mid February, we were getting, um, set up, you know, opening up and, you know, rented an office space, stuff like that. Um, didn't get the first actual appointment until the end of March. Um, and literally just had absolutely no idea what was going on. Um, so like what appointment did you start with? What did you Safeco. start with? I got Safeco, State Auto and Progressive and Safeco was the first one that came in. Um, and, and to just illustrate to a, a guy who has spent his entire life basically on the independent channel, like you have, how little I knew, um, Natalie Russell was my safe care rep at the time. Awesome lady, awesome lady who, you know, now is an agent in hot springs, um, gets me appointed with Safeco, gets me all set up, you know, first person I quote myself because it's first person everybody quotes. And I get the, to the end of the quote, which took like an hour because I didn't know what I was doing. And the number pops up and in my head, I divide it by six and go, oh my goodness, I can't afford this. Like, okay, like, like I can, I can't be insured here because I can't pay that. And I called Natalie and I said, are y'all's rates always this bad? And she goes, uh, on auto? And I said, yeah, she goes, no, our rates are pretty good on auto and i said well natalie this is what i'm looking at and i can't afford this and she goes uh dear divide by 12 and i went oh so this is for the year and she goes yes it's an annual auto policy it says it at the top of the screen and i was like oh my bad sorry like that that'll be hopefully the end of my dumb questions which it wasn't it was, right. it was nowhere near the end of my dumb question but it was my first dumb question and, you know, just started trying to figure it out from there. And, you know, I'll never forget, uh, Sam Golden, who was the progressive rep at the time who since passed away. Another great guy comes in and Kim had told me early on, she's like, now, whenever you meet with these carrier reps, you've got to sell yourself, your experience, your background, what you know, what you can do. Like, like it's as much of a sales pitch as is any sales pitch you're ever going to have. And I was like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. And, you know, Natalie came in prepped for me because of smart choice and Kim and stuff like that. And I felt like, you know, 
I stepped up to the plate and I was Barry Bonds and I hit a home run, which I mean, probably was just, she gave me the contract because Kim was like, Hey, I like this kid. Give him a shot. Let's see what happens. Um, but in my mind, like I had done it and Sam comes in and he goes, all right, so tell me about yourself. And like, I just launch into this sales pitch and about 20 seconds into it, I look up and he is just rolling, like just sitting in his chair rolling. And he goes, all right, all right, you're done, kid. Like I was going to give you the contract. It is as soon as you said, I have a license and I can breathe and we're going to give you a shot and see what we can do. Like, that's the greatest 20 second sales pitch I've ever heard, but I don't want to sit here for the rest of it all afternoon. So we're good. And I was like, <laughs> really? Like, you know. Like, you don't want to hear the other 30 minutes I have prepared? And he was like, no, I don't want to be here another 30 minutes. Like, we're good. And I was like, okay, well, that's that. So, like, the first time I actually got told no by a carrier shocked the pants off of me because they were either prepped by Kim or they were Sam. So, the first time somebody came in, I was like, no, we're just not appointing right now. You know, if you make it a couple of years and you're still in business, we'll talk then. It's like, wait, but everyone else just falls in love and gives me a contract. And, you know, it, it was, you, you see the learning curve that we had for being in this world. And, and it was, it was steep. So, it was just you at this point and yep. you were meeting with these carriers. You didn't have any staff. You didn't have anybody just you Googling how to become an agent, talking yeah, to these people, and yeah. you start off with a couple of contracts, yep. and then, you know, so, by the way, as you mentioned earlier, that, mm -hmm. that's pretty impressive, because most people who start from scratch and try to figure out how to do this don't have that kind of luck to get contracts in the first couple of weeks. They use it to gr gr grind out and go down a long road to get those. So smart choice helped you a lot there, your relationship with Kim. So keep going on this story a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was a deal to where, like I said earlier, like I have always had the ability to find the right people at the right time and have great relationships with them. So Kim was hugely, hugely helpful um, because I didn't know anything. Like, and the thing of it was like, I didn't know what I didn't know. Like I didn't know what to be afraid of what was going to pop up. I didn't know you had to get an agency management system. It never occurred to me that you would need a writer. None of that crap ever popped in my head. Um, so, you know, whenever you look back over the last four years or so, you know, it's hard to find anybody who's been more important or more helpful than, than Kim Carney. She's been fantastic. Um, my, you know, for the longest time, my largest carrier was a contract that I only had because Kim went to bat for me because in the beginning I was so poor, I didn't have Adobe. They sent me the contract. I hand wrote it and filled it out. My penmanship's terrible, which you've seen. And they emailed it back and said, look, if he's not going to take it seriously enough to like fill the thing out to where we can read it, we don't want him. And she's like, no, 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 no. Like, that was just like the 14th one of those he had filled out for me that day. I'm so sorry. Um, and, like, she patches it up. And then to this day, like, me and that carrier have a great relationship. But it's because she saved it. Because on the front end, I screwed it up and, you know, didn't know I screwed it up. But I screwed it up. Um, so it goes back to one of those things of it, it's more of who you know than what you know I mean, starting out. It. I mean, that's the story of my life. Like, like the story of my life and my agency yeah, yeah, is, is who you know. Um, so started out, um, you know, just by myself, added a couple of staff right off the bat. A um, couple of them worked out, a couple of them didn't. You know, I mean, it's that, it's that trial and error period. And a lot of the stuff you look back on that, like, didn't work, it didn't work because we didn't have a plan. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, right. You know, but what's you our goal for, how, how are we going to get, 
how are we going to get new business? I have no idea. Like, we're here. Maybe they'll find us. I don't know. So, you guys started off, shot out like a cannon right off the bat, like a thoroughbred at Kentucky Derby. And we're really, the numbers that I was seeing, the people were hearing about you in Little Rock, where I'm from, two hours Mm -hmm. down the south, people were hearing about you, what you were doing. Mm -hmm. And as a carrier rep, we were thinking, how's this young, Mm -hmm. like, 25-year-old punk kid that doesn't know his ass from a hole in the ground? writing so much business, doing so much. What were you doing back then? What did you figure out that we didn't know? In October of 17, and this goes back to, you know, like we talked about earlier, timing and dumb luck, um, State Auto launches their new platform, and they're extremely competitive in Northeast Arkansas. Um, We're on the forefront at this point of learning new carriers because we have so few carriers that if you bring something out, we're going to figure out how it works. and, you know, we just kept being told, hey, this thing's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Your rates are going to be fantastic. Um, and I sat at my kitchen table with a laptop and a stack of quote sheets at like 12.15 and just started running them through. And it was like, oh, my goodness. This is what we've been waiting for. Like, this is this is what we're looking for. This is what we've been waiting for. Here we go. Um, and we came out and had a huge November, huge December, um, took a gamble and moved into a new office, um, you know, with highway frontage, went out and got ourselves in the lender game. Um, and the next thing I knew, I had two producers who loved to compete that were every month going at it and the numbers were were staggering compared to what we had been doing. Um, and we rode the wave and away we went. So Back to that, you got yourself in the lender game. You had mm-hmm. a lot of quotes activity going on, and you mm-hmm. were on the radar screen all over the state at this point for the little mm-hmm. engine that could, so to speak, and y'all were just yep. rocking and rolling, writing all this business. What, what else was it? As, as anybody else listening, starting from scratch, and you're listening to this guy with dumb luck who Googled how to be an insurance agent, figured out right. writing business. What can you tell someone? How did you do it? What did you do to get in the lender game? What did you do? Like, there had, was there a secret sauce to it? What were you doing? Or was it just sheer dumb luck? <laughs> um, well, as, as fate would have it, it's sheer dumb luck. At least the first one is. So You know I'm going to title this episode Sheer Dumb Luck now. Pretty much. Um, me and you have a, a buddy that's a, that started an agency recently that his favorite thing is, is holding made if anybody can. So um, he's going to hear this and fall in love with it. But so whenever we moved into the new office, there was a lender next door um, who who wound up being a great referral partner for us. But the way that we actually met and she started sending us business was we had someone come into the office to get a quote from us. And as they were leaving, they backed into her car. And Blake stands out in the parking lot with the lady's car that got hit, talks to her, talks her through it, how it's all going to work, yada, yada, yada. does a great job. And the next thing you know, she starts sending us leads. And then the next thing you know, like we've kind of become her, her guys and other people start sending us leads. And it grew from that. Like, I mean, it grew from a lady that we didn't wind up writing her business backs into somebody's car in a parking lot and the next thing we know we're in the lender game 
Um, and that's and it, I mean, credit to my guys, like they took the ball and ran with it from there. But it's and and we've been like, I'm not gonna sit here and downplay our efforts. Like we've been trying to get our our foot in the door there and our foot in the door in the lender game before that, and we've had some success. But the fire hydrant moment is right back into a parked car. That is so funny. Now, you and I've heard that story from you before, but I, I I love it every time, and I want the listeners to hear it. I'm glad you told that. Now, you said earlier you had two guys, and I know these two guys, but for my neighbors yep. in insurance town that don't know, yeah. you had two guys that competed like hell against each other every single day. Was that something you created as part of your culture that you wanted that, or was that just something that sheer dumb luck just happened because you had two guys that loved to compete? You said you love sports. So, I mean I- – there's a million ways to look at that one. You can sit there and go, hey, they just happen to have a competitive fire that wouldn't let either one of them lose. You can sit there and say, we fostered that environment and made it cool because we did. Like, I mean, at one point in time, we had a kid's replica toy WWE belt hanging around the office that if you were salesman of the month, it sat on your desk. And I mean, we keep a, a marker board in the back of the office and, and stuff like that just for the express purpose of here's where you're at and, and here's how you compare and here's, you know, where we're at. And so we definitely fostered an environment of competition, but it, you know, you can foster that environment all you want to, but if the people involved in the culture aren't competitive, it doesn't matter. Um, so they were naturally competitive and you know, I, I saw a fire and, and threw some gas on it and made it cool to be competitive. Um, and away we went. That is fantastic. I love, because I know the story, so I love hearing you tell it. Because you guys were, you had an atmosphere, you had a culture, and people knew that you fought. I guess you could say you did foster it. You poured gasoline on that fire to have those two people. And so... Um, I want to fast forward just a second. Um, so, you know, you just told me you're now, what you you started your agency 25, 26 years old. No, you know, like I said earlier, you you shot it like a cannon from what we looked at. Mm -hmm. And again, 12 months into it and you're having those kind of numbers. That is pretty cannon like. So now I have a couple questions for you back in my day. And I'm the old guy. I'm, I'm a, I'm an older guy now. So back in my day, and I always hate saying back in my day, I sound like an old man, but, um, you know, you didn't see a lot of young producers in their twenties, much right. less mid to late twenties. And nowadays right. I see popping up everywhere. There's these young agency principals, young mm-hmm. dudes getting involved, young females getting involved. What do you think? What do you attribute that to? What do you think that is? So I think in the last decade or so, being an entrepreneur has become cool. Um, being a small business owner has become cool. I mean, you look at guys like uh, Gary Vaynerchuk and, and folks like that, like, you know, you've got a, a business owner there that's got his own sneaker line, um, which is unheard of. Like that wasn't a thing that would have happened 10, 15 years ago. Um, I think some for our industry specifically i think part of it is whenever you know big money mergers and acquisitions got involved it took away the idea of you're going to go to work for an agent and be his contingency plan um because the one solo individual just can't pay the price that some of this stuff's going for um so you so you can't do that um, and, and people see that that's not going to be an option. Um, so I think whenever you start looking at those things, like it, it's, it's kind of become cool to be a business owner. Um, 
it's become harder to buy out more established agencies. So where maybe before you went to work at an agency at 25, 26, 27, 28 years old, and you knew that as long as you stayed till you were 40, did what you were supposed to do, you know, this was eventually going to be in some way you were going to be a partner. This was going to be your baby. Whenever that multiplier got up there in that, you know, three and a half, four X range for the solo individual coming up with 20% of that just to get it, you know, funded. So I think it's those three or four things right there that really has created the, the shift in younger agency principles and younger business models um, to, to where we're at now. There you go. I, I would agree with that. It's a good answer. Now, so you, you've had some transition. You've had some changes come up in your life going back to 15, 16 years old, then the car business and you had State yeah. Farm and you've had, you know, the AIG life. And you're rocking around. You finally, you finally made it. Things are going awesome, and things continue to go awesome the whole time. The last four years, or was there some some things that happened that some changes needed to be made? Man, I mean, it's like anything else. Like you know, about the time you think you've got it all figured out, everything changes. Um, and you know, nothing goes awesome for forever. And and that's kind of you know, we we found ourselves in that situation a couple times um, where hey, what we're doing isn't working like it once did or what we're doing isn't sustainable or this business model that we've created isn't going to last forever. And we've definitely found ourselves in those situations. And I think the, the, the big thing past the sheer dumb luck for any agency owner, you know, if you're going to start out scratch and go at it in this business, you're going to have to take some lumps along the way. You're going to have to take some losses along the way. You're going to have to look at your business model at some point and go, this isn't working. For whatever reason that it's not working, it's not working. And we're going to have to back up and punt. And, and you know, I mean, it's just like with, with college football. Um, you see schools that are predominantly running schools for forever. You know, Alabama ran the football down everybody's throat for about six years. And then the next thing you know, Lane Kiffin's the coach and they're running the spread and throwing it around and, and trying – all these different things because running it down everybody's throat stopped working. Um, and I think for us, we've, you know, we've had to transition. We've had to change our business model. We've had to change the way we do things. We've had to do a lot of different stuff. Um, and some of that's been easy. Some of that's been brutal. Some of it's been some of the hardest stuff I've ever done in my life. Um, and, it's part of it. Like if you're not comfortable looking at what you've got going and one day and going, uh Oh, this, this isn't it. This isn't working. This isn't, this isn't sustainable. This doesn't go 15 years into the future. You're going to struggle with this. And it's not easy. Like there's nothing easy about sitting there going, all right, like this business model that we've fallen in love with is broken. Um, but there are times where it's got to be done. Okay. So, Something's working well and business is soaring mm -hmm. and you've got numbers just mm -hmm. flying off the charts. Most business owners continue yep. to stay that course or they want to ignore the right. problems and they want to ignore the right. issues that are going on. You came to that place and you yep. said, wait a minute, it's time to stop running the ball to use your Alabama. I can't believe you used Alabama on my podcast, but you know, right. to go with that same analogy and you decide at that point when things are well and things are going good, it's time to pivot and move on. What what made you decide to go that, as a young entrepreneur, a young business owner, young agency owner? How did you see that? Was there training in that or did you just see something? What made you decide this was the time to change? That's a big risk. So the, yeah. So the good thing that happened for me is somewhere along the way, and I can't pinpoint exactly 
to whenever it happened. Um, I developed a relationship with a guy who's become my agency mentor. Um, and we just finally had a conversation one day and I said, man, here's everything. Here's my numbers. Here's my, my finances. Here's everything I've got going. Um, tell me what you think. And he looked at it and said, man, this isn't going to sustain. Like there's, there's too much going out for what's coming in. Your, your cost of acquisition here is way too high. And I mean, you look at it, everyone goes into a business knowing there's going to be years where you may not be profitable and you have to be okay with that. And you have to push that ball down, you know, down the field until that happens. But I had gotten myself into a situation through no fault of anybody else's, like through sheer fault of just my own to where this model isn't going to work forever. And it's time to change this model. Um, and we, you know, we changed and we, we backed up and punted and did everything we needed to do to change. Um, and you know, had to go in a completely different direction and it wasn't fun and it wasn't ideal and it wasn't what you would want to do, but it was something that to keep moving forward, those changes had to happen. And that's a huge risk that you had to take. And I'm sure there's other agency owners out there that either didn't have that you know, luck or didn't have the, the gall to make those changes or have the strength to make those changes, but you did in that. And so if you, if you were to be talking to, if you wanted to, a mentor, another age, I love that you mm-hmm. have an agency mentor. I would suggest everybody have one, but if you were to right. mentor somebody else and they were going through some of the same things or they're hitting some hiccups, they're two or three years down the road now in their agency, what would mm-hmm. you tell them? What kind of advice would you give someone to say, you know, I, I got to make some changes, things aren't working. What, what would you tell somebody? Man, pivot quick. Um, pivot quick. Make the decisions you need to make quickly. Um, do what you've got to do quickly. Get somebody in your corner that looks at your business from 10,000 feet and doesn't tie emotion into what you do um, and can just look at the bare bones and the facts and tell you, hey, man, here's where you're at. Here's where you need to go. Here's what you've got to do. Um, and I think one thing that, that I struggled with as a young agency owner is everyone gives you advice and everyone gives you good advice. Um Find people that give good advice. Find people that's, that have been there. Find people that's that have, really good. That have Say done that, that. Everyone's willing to give you advice. Not everyone's able to give you good advice. Um, because not everybody's been in your shoes. Not everybody's walked your path. Um, and not everybody understands what you've got to do to get, get through um, and, and what your next steps are. So, you know, find that that agency owner or two or three that can really point you in the direction you need to go. One of the strengths of being a small business owner or being a small agency owner is that you can pivot quickly and correct mistakes before it gets too far down the road and gets too out of control. Or, you know, it's no longer looked at as a negative connotation to have a small business or to have a small agency. And so you just confirmed that for me and right. as part of your success story. Right. Yeah, so, absolutely. Like, and, and that the, the, the beautiful thing about being small is that you can pivot quickly if, if needed. Um, so that's been, you know, that was, that was huge for us. And like I said, it wasn't fun. It wasn't something that I enjoyed or ever want to do again, but you know, it was, it's part of it. Now I've noticed also in your young career, three, four years in now, four years, whatever it may be, you've actually 
not only, you know, done well in your agency, but you've also gotten involved in the industry itself. And mm-hmm. I've seen you get involved in the IAOAs. I've seen you involved in the local conventions and the local, you know, whether I know you're on the board of the PIA, yeah. you're involved in different things. Do you think that yeah. helps you in your career? Is that something you would suggest to anybody to get involved in those associations and whatnot? PIA has been really good to me. That was one of those things, again, I don't, you know, you don't know what you don't know when generals around. I get a, a text from Kim Carney that says, hey, you're going to be worried about it. Like, it's taken care of, just show up. Um, and and I learned a ton. Um, I met a ton of people. I think you and I met at a PIA convention. Um, um, so a lot of the relationships that I have um, are through those types of associations. And again, you know, I think the thing that people – misunderstand it's whenever you go into those types of situations you're there to make friends you're there to 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 meet people you're there to develop relationships and if you use it for that those associations are fantastic um and you can get a lot of good people in your corner and you can make a lot of good friendships that that can last and and that you can build on um and i think they i think they have a huge importance within our industry and that's awesome and you know you talk about (laughs) The sheer dumb luck. And we've talked about a lot of these things, but I also want the listeners that don't, that aren't from Arkansas, that don't know the state, that don't know, Paragold's a small town. Uh, and there's a lot of agents that listen to this that are from small town USA. And mm-hmm. they're probably listening to this thinking, oh, he's just from a big town there in Little Rock or in, in you know, Fayetteville, Arkansas or whatever. No wonder he's doing so well. Paragold's a small town. Can you right. pull- a little bit and tell me, you know, maybe the keys to some of those success or how a small agent, small town, you know, how can you put up those kind of numbers like that? Is there a key to that success for you? So I think for us, it's always come back to people, whether it's people within the agency, people outside of the agency, people that we partner with, it, it, it's people. Um, and, you know, especially, I think that's more true, the smaller the area. So, you know, context, Fairgold's about 30,000 people, give or take. Um, and for us, it's always been about people. And it's, and it's been about the people within the agency. It's been about the people outside of the agency. You know, it, it's been about those relationships and maintaining those relationships and trying to cultivate those relationships. Um, so, I, I mean, I think the bigger the town, the more you can try some different tactics. I think the smaller the town, the more you're reliant upon people and your people and the people that support you. And, you know, that's, that's been the key takeaway for us is we I've been fortunate in my whole life to be surrounded by good people. I love it. And I think that's, that's great advice and that's a great answer because, uh, it's easy to get caught up in, you know, get the money. Was that what it was? Get the money, get the money, get the money. <laughs> That's it, man. <laughs> and it's easy to lose sight of the people. And it's easy to lose right. sight of taking care of those people in your community, in your agency, building the culture, and giving props where props is due, and taking the right advice. I appreciate the time we've spent together today from all the, the fun we've had. And uh, you tell us about your dumb luck stories, which, again, we all know it's not dumb luck. You're the man. Um, I appreciate it. I really uh, – do you have any last things that you would like to share before I shut this thing down? Man, I just wanted to, you know, say thanks for having me on. I, you know, I appreciate what you're doing. Um, 
because you are getting the voices out there of some people that, you know, otherwise might not get out there. And, you know, I, I think there is a lot to learn within the state and there's a lot of cool people within the state, within this industry. Um, and I'm looking forward to hearing them come on here and hearing their story and seeing what I can learn from them. Um, so man, I, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for being one of those voices because there's a lot of people that are going to listen to this and identify with you. And a lot of people that are going to say, Oh, that's awesome. So is it cool? Can you share your, your, your contact with them? Maybe an email address or something they can get a hold of you or a, a social media yeah. channel? How can they yeah, ab- absolutely. So um, my email address is Holden at LinuxInsuranceNEA.com. Um, you know, that's, that's the, probably the easiest way to reach me. If somebody wants to reach out and have a conversation or something like that, we can, we can definitely link up that way and, and go from there. So yeah, I would, I would welcome I'd welcome any feedback and any questions or anything like that that anybody has. That's Holden at Linux NEA. Holden at LinuxInsuranceNEA.com. LinuxInsuranceNEA. Okay, before we get off, excuse me, listeners, you've got to (laughs) – one of my favorite things about you, Holden, you've got to tell the story about how you came up with the name Linux. So I'd like This is awesome. I'd like to say it's something profound and it means something, but it's not and it doesn't. Um, so I sent in a couple of names that I was really proud of that I don't remember at this point what they were um, for approval. And they all got kicked back and I was on the phone and I looked at my wife, Jordan, and I said, I need a name. And she said, uh, Linux. And I went, all right, cool. Linux insurance. I had no idea where it came from, went with it. Just kind of assumed she Googled it, whatever. And it wasn't until I believe Jordan and I were talking to you and Stacy, and somebody said, so what's a Linux insurance? And Jordan goes, oh, there's a scratch sheet of paper laying in the floor that he had taken a note on and wadded it up and was fixing to throw it away. And it said Linux across the top of it. So we went with that. <laughs> so again, sheer dumb luck right from the beginning. <laughs> hey, it's worked and I'm so glad it has. I'm glad we're friends and I'm glad that you've introduced yourself to Insurance Town and the people can follow up with you. Thank you so much. I got to jump off here. Have a great day, Holden. Thanks, buddy. You too. Thank you guys so much for checking out my conversation with Holden Smith. I really hope it added some value to your day today. Listen, I appreciate more than anything the emails and the feedback. Keep them coming. Heath at insurancetownpodcast.com. If you have any show ideas, if you have any guest ideas, anything like that, or feedback like, Heath, you need a new microphone, send that to me because... It really helps me to continue on this podcast and do it the right way. Thank you so much, guys, for hanging out with me in Insurance Town. Look forward to seeing you next week. Mm-hmm.